Welcome to The Rock Podcast. As the one who would bear our sins, Jesus showed how he is qualified to offer his life as a sacrifice for our sins through his baptism and temptation in the wilderness. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Tried and True. As you get settled in your seats and turn to Mark's Gospel, Chapter 1, we'll ask the Lord for his blessing. Evelyn, Father, it's such a delight to be in your word and be in a gospel again. We've spent a lot of time in the epistles and learning about theology. And, and Lord, it's just wonderful to see Jesus on the page uh, every uh, time we open the book, doing good deeds and saving and teaching us the truth that sets our hearts free. So. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Please quicken our hearts to hear what you're trying to say. Lord, you brought us together in your, you destined us to be at this moment to hear these words for a reason. Help us to get that reason and understand and put the truth into practice so we can be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when anyone claims to be someone great or to be able to aspire to do something of great significance. Uh, The question is always, are they qualified? Where's the proof? Where's the evidence? And our passage this morning in Mark is going to give us some evidence that Christ is who he uh, claims to be and who the scriptures uh, say that he is because there have been spectacular things said about Jesus right from the jump in all four gospels. You'll recall that, I mean, just to start with Matthew, he said he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. So what is born to Mary is going to be a God-man, the God-man. And so uh, to Mark, Mark starts out saying he is the son of God equal to God in every way. And Luke is going to say, have angels talking about him. I have it written down. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high God. The Lord God will give him his throne and he will reign forever. His kingdom will never end. And so (laughs) that is quite the claim. But John John starts off with Jesus creating the world and holding all things together by his power. He will say that nothing that has been made was made without him. And so uh, everything that exists is because of Jesus, that he created all things. And so these are pretty spectacular claims. And it's been 30 years since we've seen some evidence to go along with these claims. There was some 30 years ago because Jesus is going to start his ministry. He's 30 years old. But when he was born, there was this star that came from the east, the mysterious men who were following. And and the star comes just coincidentally right where Jesus is at. You have these prophecies 
these godly people on the day Jesus was uh, dedicated as a baby in the temple, off went prophecies, prophetic utterances. They couldn't have known anything. These beautiful testimonies of who this child would, was and would become and what kinds of uh, things that he would accomplish. And so... Um, This morning, in Mark chapter 1, we get the beginning, the evidence. It's been 30 years, and now there are going to be two foundational incidents that will leave no question in your mind that he is God's man to do God's work on our behalf. And so we'll take a look at those scriptures now. At that time, John was baptizing in, in the Jordan River. Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. And so two incidents to reflect upon this morning, two key foundational, um, foundational to our souls. Our souls, your salvation, hang in the balance according to these two incidents, how they go. And so there's a lot of insight here. Uh, there are two things happening, of course. Mark is, of course, the abbreviator of all four Gospels. He's telling you about a servant king. And the word for servant, as we already discussed, diakonos in the Greek, it means quite literally to kick up dust. And so Jesus is seen immediately going here, immediately going there, immediately doing this. And uh, so that is why Mark is not concerned with all the details. And God, the Holy Spirit, knows he's going to have four Gospels with the full details. So Mark is going to tell you, this is the servant king who is kicking up dust as God the Father's bond slave. Now, Jesus is, in every sense, God in a human body. But the scriptures say in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus emptied himself of his right to utilize his divine nature independent of God the Father. He never stopped being God for one second. He is the God-man. But he did lay down his rights to use his divinity uh, for his own advantage. And so in that regard, we are dealing with Jesus' humanity a lot in the scriptures. And we see that uh, even in these two instances. First, the baptism of Jesus. He will be introduced to Israel. And this is the, will be the start of his ministry. And, and the reason we know this and it says in other Gospels, he was 30 years old. And we know this is day one, officially. Because at the end of the Gospels, and in the beginning of the book of Acts, when they, 
the disciples are looking for the replacement of, for Judas. And they said, they're looking around at the guys. One of the qualifications had to be that he was with us from the first day of baptism, at the baptism. He had to have been here to be one of the, the uh, choice to replace uh, Judas. And so this was the foundational uh, introduction, and we're going to get a glimpse of why Jesus came uh, to, to this earth, and we're going to hear the Father's um, great affirmation from heaven. And so let's call point one, we'll, when we deal with the baptism, will be point one. We'll call it the testimony, verses 9 through 11. The second uh, incident will be the, the in the wilderness at once immediately while Jesus' hair is still wet. He is being driven up into those uh, uh, desert places to be tempted by God's adversary. The name Satan in the Hebrew means enemy or adversary. So God's son or God's God the son will face off and duke it out with the devil. And our souls hang in the balance. Let's call point two the test. So we're going to have the testimony, and we're going to have the test. Let's begin with the testimony. So at that time, at that time tells us what we already learned last time we were in Mark chapter 1 in the beginning, the time that John the Baptist, that kind of odd guy with the, just a, a, a severe and fierce, uh, devout walk with God and faith was out in the wilderness area of Judea where the Jordan runs through. And by the way, we make a stop there. If you're planning on coming with us in 2018, you'll see where Jesus was baptized. You'll see where Israel came through the Jordan and into the promised land because it's all uh, coincidentally in that same area. And I used quotes just in case you're listening on a podcast there because there's no such thing as a coincidence here. So John the Baptist was uh, dealing with thousands of people because it said quite literally everyone was coming from Jerusalem. Jerusalem had a population of a million people. So there were hundreds of thousands of people coming out. Why? Because they were tired of dead religion. The Pharisees had turned relationship with God into a nightmare. Jesus had to spank them really bad verbally. In Matthew 23, wow, what a list. He gives them seven woes to the religious leaders and said, you have turned relationship with God into a heavy burden that you put on people's shoulders. And you guys won't lift even your pinky to help. Out. So, of course, everybody was full. We need truth. We want to hear, well, where, where is life, you know? And I go, how do we get rid of our sins and our guilt and our shame and our loneliness and the fear of dying? John had the answers, but you had to go out to the wilderness uh, to find them. And so when they went out there and they asked him, are you the Christ? And he said, are you kidding me? I'm not worthy to shine that man's shoes, that man who's coming. And then he started to stir some anticipation at that time. He's mighty. The one who's coming will baptize you not with water, but with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Wow, well, that got people's attention. And then he started saying, dropping hints. Oh, he's among you. 
oh, it's not me. He's among you right now. He's in the crowd. You know him, but you don't know that he's the Messiah. He's alive right now. He's among us. So people were like, you know, on edge, looking for the Messiah. Well, where is he? And then the day came when Israel was introduced to the Son of God who descended from Abraham. 2,000 years of lineage from Abraham. 2,000 years. At 1,000 years out, it was King David and through Solomon and all of those kings and all the way down to Mary, who was related to all of them in the line. And so by blood, he's introduced as the son of God, the son of God from heaven and the son of man from a Jewish woman who was related to King David and to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their savior, their God. And the scriptures say they rejected him and they turned and that opened the door for the rest of the world, which was always God's plan. But this was the moment. Let's hear from, from John the Baptist's point of view as recorded by John Zebedee's son, John, gets John's own testimony. So here it is. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. Here he comes. It's the day. <laughs> and said, look. And he prophesied. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The sin of the world. That's important. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who's far greater than I, for he existed long before me. What? John's older than Jesus. He's six months older, but Jesus is older than that. <laughs> Before Abraham existed, he told the Pharisees, not I was, but I am. I was then, I am, and will forever be the same as Jehovah God. Well, but I digress. Uh, <laughs> then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will, who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify. So now we get the Baptist's testimony. And this is important because there are voices everywhere saying, He's the son of God. He's the son of God. He's the son of God. So I testify that he is the son of God. And, and so, yeah, Jesus took his place. So at that time, we can go back to the scripture. Jesus takes his place in the lines with everybody else. But then something strange happens after, you know, what is this? He takes away the sins of the world. And then, bam, it happens. The Bible has four accounts of this and uses a very strong word. The heavens were torn apart. The word there in the Greek is schizo. It's very strong. And in fact, when, it's when, the whole, when the Hebrew scriptures are translated into Greek, this same word is used. It's a God word. It's a word where God uh, rends the Red Sea so his people can pass through. Uh, where he tears apart the rocks 
uh, in the wilderness where the people need water to drink. And so water flows because uh, Yahweh rends the rocks in, in two. And, he's, and it's the same word coming at the second coming when Jesus is prophesied to return and touch down on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives splits into two. It's that word. And so uh, I, there's an association here with the tearing of God's power coming in and making intervention because that is our only hope. Nothing we can muster up or do to save ourselves. God's power has to happen, and it has to happen in a powerful way to tear open the heavens and for him to come down and intervene. And that's the Old Testament had this idea that Messiah would come and show his power, rip open the skies, and come down from heaven to save us. Isaiah 64 and verse 1, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, and oh, that you would turn your cell phones off. <laughs> There's a flood, people out there. There's a flood. <laughs> and Jesus says, look up. For your redemption draws nigh. Amen. Now, so this rending, don't miss this. Because this tearing of God's power to come in and intervene and to save our souls is evidence that he's the son of God twice in the gospels. Once it is the foundation at the baptism, okay? So at the baptism, the heavens are, are being torn open and, and the servant king is appearing there. That's the servant king sent to save us. And there'll be a voice, this, John saying, this is the son of God. And then there's the voice from heaven, this is the son of God. This is my son, you are my son, he says, right? So there's a, there's a tearing again at the end of the story. At the crucifixion, there's another voice. And right before Jesus goes to that cross, there's a voice from heaven that says, he's my son, right before. And, 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 and the, he dies, and in his next breath, the, the veil in the temple is, same word, schizo, is torn by God's power. That veil in the temple was, was a symbol of separating us sinners from a holy God that we couldn't go and be with our Father in heaven because of our sin. Something had to be done about it. And Jesus, well, Hebrews chapter 10 says, it's not so much that, that God's power tore the, the curtain. It tore God's son. Schizo, his flesh, and through Jesus' torn, ripped-up body as the God-man offered for the sins of the world, for your sins and mine, that we enter through him. Listen to what Hebrews 10 says. He's, it's not the curtain that was the big deal. That was the symbol, even though it was a big deal. It was 60 feet tall, 30 feet wide, five inches thick, and took 300 priests to maneuver that thing. And that thing was torn ran schizo from top to bottom, signifying who was doing the tearing. That was God. But it wasn't the tearing. Oh, what a beautiful thing he's saying. Come on in. The Son of God has been torn. 
Now you can come on in through, listen to what Hebrews 10 says. You have confidence to enter into God's very presence, open to us through the curtain of his body. The curtain of his body. God the Father ripped open his own son so that we could be restored and have life. And that's what it was going to take. Ultimately, it's that tearing that counts. So what have we picked up so far? Heaven's torn open. God, the son, the servant king descends. Here he's standing there. He's becoming one of us in the waters of baptism. He will be torn apart as a sacrifice and a payment for those who come to him. Uh, we, and we can come back to God through the torn curtain of his body. Why in the world is the sinless son of God in the waters of baptism? Why is he there? Even John said, um, excuse me, uh, we need to trade places here. And Jesus says, listen, God is at work. Righteousness means putting people right with him. Let this happen, John, because God is working. And he said, yes, sir. <laughs> yes, Lord, and baptized. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Why is Jesus being baptized? Because he's going to take away the sins of the world. And the way he's going to do that is to become the sins of the world. So he has to identify there as a sinner. The one who committed no sin becomes sin, was made sin on our behalf that we might become right with God. So there he is, sinless, holy, never committed one sin. He said to the Pharisees, which of you can convict, convict me of one sin? The Bible over and over again says he is sinless. So the sinless one says, here I am, a sinner in your sight. For John and Mike and Dave and Bob and Jill and whoever else believes. This murderer here, this slanderer, this adulterer, they're all lining up around him, rubbing shoulders with him. And he's morally pure and innocent. He says, charge it to me. I'm a sinner. I'm their sin. Put it all on me. And that's why he's in there, because eventually he's going to be struck down by the Father's wrath for sin because he is sin. He's going, the Father's going to look on Jesus and see all of the sins that we have committed on him. And he's going to take a lightning bolt and he's going to let him have it. That's what's going on here. That's what's going on. He's saying, I I'm their brother. Put it on me. I want to make the payment. And listen, not just anybody could do that. Not a man. A man has his own sins to pay for. So how is he going to bail you out of your sins if he's a sinner? The only person who could have said that is a sinless human being. And the only way that's going to happen is if you don't have a father. You're conceived of the Holy Spirit, but you're born of a human being. So you're fully man. So you can stand in man's place, but you're fully God and you don't have any sins so that you have the moral accounts to be able to be spent as an innocent life for 
a sinful life. You can make the trade. That's why the high priest had to first offer blood for his own sins before he dealt with Israel. This is a high priest who offers his own blood. You see? So he says, put it on me. Now, every offering for sin in the Old Testament had to be checked out and inspected for God's okay. So he's saying, is it okay? Do I qualify? Can I pay for the sins of the world? Can death be swallowed up? Can I drink a cup of the poison of the whole world's sin and take death down in me and gobble up the grave in my body? Do I qualify? And God the Father says, yes, you qualify. You are my son. You are well-loved and in You, I am well pleased, lest anybody in the crowd think Jesus was in the water for his own sins. When a voice from heaven says, hey, this is my son, I love him very much, and I'm very pleased, and God is speaking, then everybody knows, well, he can't be in here because of his own sins. No, he's not. No, he's not. And think about that. Every time we just think lightly of sin, what he went through to save us from sin and and the consequences of death and all kinds of shame and guilt and condemnation. And Jesus, oh, standing there saying, put that on me. We can't be light about it. We can't be light about something that, that, that turned Jesus into an unrecognizable person on that cross that says you could not tell it was a human being. looked like roadkill from the beating he took. And that's him saying, Father, here I am. John, calm down. I know, just, just let it happen because I'm going to become your sin. i got to be a sinner because I'm going to be struck in your place. That's why I had a body. Because here's what he's saying. Father God, Father, here's, here's my beard. It can be plucked out. Here's my face. It could be spat upon. Here's my back. It could be lashed with 39 lashes. Here are my hands. You could nail them to a cross. Here are my feet. Here's my side. You can rend me open if it's going to save them. That's what he's saying. And God the Father says, yes, I will. Why? He's got to love us at least as much as he loves his own son to be able to give him up for us all. This is an amazing, amazing thing. Why did the voice speak? Rarely do you hear God speak audibly from heaven, though it happens a few times in the scriptures. This is one of them. Why does he do that? Love Don't miss this. God's heart, he's like, sends a star. Hey, look over here. Don't miss it. You know, there's prophecies. There's angels in heaven. There's, you've got a conscience. You've got a Bible. You've got a church on the earth. You've got God's miracles, raising the dead and walking on the water and casting out demons. That's why God speaks and says, by the way, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is my son. 
from heaven a voice out of love. God is willing that no one perish. He says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The reason he's taking a while to show up and everybody's saying, where is he already? He's saying, if I would have come yesterday, I would have left behind some of your people, some of your loved ones. So I'm going to stretch it out another day. And that's what's behind what seems to be a delay is actually God's love that none perish. And that's the reason the voice is there. Do not miss it. Anybody who ends up in hell had to jump over hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. A megaphone's in their faces, in their souls. God is not willing for that to happen, but he will not violate free will. But he will go to the end and the death, which he did, to stop any fool from jumping that last hurdle into eternal loss. This is why he's being baptized. This is why the voice is speaking out of sheer love. And God approves. You do realize that the whole Old Testament, a thousand years of blood offered on the same hill, by the way, the temple was built on the same region, the same hill called Calvary or Mount Moriah, where Abraham offers Isaac, right? And the temple's up there, a thousand years of blood flowing there. He doesn't want anybody to miss, but he said, those sacrifices never pleased me. They were required as a symbolic gesture, prophetic pointing forward to the blood of God's son. Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews, the Hebrew Christians had a problem. They were being persecuted for being Christians. So they said, let's just go back to being Jews. It was easier. It was hard, but it's easier than being a Christian. And so the writer to the Hebrews says, listen, let me tell you. You're going back to schlep some lamb into the temple, and you're gonna, the blood of bulls and goats not going to do it, people. It never was God's will to be delighted in the blood of livestock, which cannot, it does not equal a human soul. He argues with them. He said, Would it, wouldn't you have stopped offering if that blood could have fixed things? No, but you have to come year after year, year after year. You're still guilty. You're still sinning. You still have fear. He says it, it, it wasn't designed. It was pointing to, to a different kind of blood, the blood of the God-man. And he goes on to say, and the writer to the Hebrews, trying to slap them into sense, he goes on to say, listen, even Jesus was speaking in Psalm 40. So he's, he's saying that David wrote a psalm, Psalm 40, and David is speaking, but Christ is speaking through David when he says, sacrifices and offering, offerings isn't what you really desired. It's me. It's my body. It's my life as an offering. Here I am. I have come to do your will as your servant. There he is, the servant king, speaking a thousand years before he's born as a baby. He is already speaking a thousand years before he enters the womb of Mary. He's saying, 
all of those blood sacrifices, they were just pointing to this moment where I offer myself, my blood, for the sins of the world. And so it's all a, all a scene for the Passover to come where Jesus would be the Passover lamb and settle the matter forever. And when that happens, then, of course, the Holy Spirit can come once your sins are dealt with and give you a new life. And that there, the Holy Spirit is there. You see, by the way, the Trinity working together, don't we? We see the Father speaking. We see the, the Spirit descending and the Son of God standing. And all three are working together. Three persons Baptize them in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so here they are working on your behalf to bring salvation. So the dove comes. So you can look at commentaries like I do and try to figure out, was it a dove? Did it look like a dove? Well, you know, well, was it a real bird? You know, and you can read through lots of chapters. Let me just tell you, the Bible says, physically... There was some kind of physical form that reminded people of a dove, and it came and it lighted upon Jesus. That's pretty simple. We don't need to know, was it a real bird with feathers? <laughs> you know. Um, but whatever it was, it was noteworthy. And they, they saw it, and they got the point. Now, why a dove? God could choose lots of different emblems for his power. The Holy Spirit is really his power. He's, he's the third person of the Trinity, and he's all about power. Why, why a dove for power? Because when the Spirit comes upon you, you will be empowered, right? Why a dove? Football teams, right? You hear about the Falcons. You, you hear about the Eagles. Have you heard about the doves? <laughs> Woo, I'm afraid of them, you know. You don't want to mess with those doves. You know, they'll come in and coo. <laughs> oh, come on. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, folks, about my power, it's, it's benevolent power. Uh, Jesus saying, I didn't come to judge the world. I didn't come to, to condemn the world. I came to save the world. What is it? Everybody's so intimidated. He says, come to me, all who are heavy burden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. I'm gentle. My nature, by nature, God is love. And he's saying, in this first coming, when you see him standing there, what's up? What's God's intention here? It's kind. It's a power that will woo you and put up with you and draw you and forgive you and be kind to you and overlook all of your shenanigans, a lifetime of them, because he's the dove. This is what it's all about. Not to be so freaked out. We're always saying, I mean, uh, listen to what he says. He's going to go into a, a, a synagogue and they're going to say, hey, do you have anything to say? And he's going to say, I do. <laughs> and he goes up in front and he pulls a scroll out and he's like, bingo. And he reads from Isaiah 61, the Lord. And he says, listen, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. That, this is it. Because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim deliverance to the captives and recovery of, this, of sight to the blind. And by the way, he's not just talking about physical sight there. He's talking about spiritual sight. I'm going to show you the way out of this train wreck. That's why the Holy Spirit's upon me. 
and to release the oppressed, and here's, here's it, the ticket item, big ticket item, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor starts with him saying, I'll take their sins. Come to me, and I'll give you life. Whoever believes in me, even if you die, yet shall you live. That's the Lord's favor started on that day, and it goes until the last Christian comes to know him and the church is removed. That is called the amnesty period, the age of grace. All your sins gone for what? <laughs> for nothing, for faith, for saying, God, save me. I, I did stupid things. I'm sorry. Boom, done. Eternal life. He said, I'm here as a dove to proclaim the year of God's favor to say there's amnesty but you don't understand no you don't understand the blood of God's son can cover that thing and he says what do I want from you believe believe me yield your life to me come to me turn away from that just come to me I have a change of mind that's all repentance means so yeah yeah and by the way yes I know he's also the the lion and, he, and, 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 and if you're a fool enough to shoot the dove out of the sky, you know, and to, to shoo the dove away your whole life, then you're going to get the eagle, okay? Because the eagle is seen in heaven, the face of an eagle. And, and if you don't want to cuddle now with the lamb, okay? Because I don't know who wouldn't want to cuddle with the lamb. I, I mean, the most macho, burly dude. You know, you bring a lamb around, come on, you got to hold that little lamb, you know. And that's why, that's the whole point, a dove and lamb. Don't be afraid of me. You're always waiting for the, the shoe to drop. I'm always behind you. Oh, I'm ready to smack you around. What is your problem, humans? What about lamb don't you get? What about dove, don't you get? What about, I know the plans I have for you. Plans not to harm you, to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. I'm the dove. I come down to just make things better and to love you and to be patient with you and to be kind and to give you what you don't deserve and to not give you what you do deserve. Amen? Yeah. I see you're all thinking very deeply. <laughs> You've got your thinking faces on, and that's a good thing. Now, yes, strong words. He has two natures there. And we're glad to know him as the lamb and the dove. So we're off and running. All systems go. We have a sin bearer. He's lined up and ready to go, and that's a good thing because the spirit has some place for him to be. Next and lastly, we're going to go from testimony to the test. And wow, a couple verses, Mark, man, he's the abbreviator. So at once, that word is immediately, while he's still dripping wet, the spirit drives him, sends him. Boy, this is important to the de desert to just face off with the adversary of old Satan. And I told you that's his name means enemy. And he, it was no pretty picture, man. The wild animals were out there. It was dangerous and hostile. And it's trying to tell you there was a lot on the line. 
there's danger and, and all kinds of problems and a storm and a flood. <laughs> and angels attended him. And so the test, God's son meets God's adversary. Now, there's something astonishing here, and I hope you catch it. And a lot of people said to me after first service, I've never seen that before. This is fascinating. The two, the baptism and the facing off with the devil are a part of something that theologians call the new creation. God was creating again. Now, here's what he was doing. The first creation, the spirit brooded over waters like a bird. The first creation, right? The spirit brooding. The second creation, the spirit was hovering over water. Ah, we get a picture here. There was a test in the first creation between the Son of God and the serpent. And in the second creation, there'll be a test with the Son of God and the serpent. The first time the Son of God, the first Son of God failed. He lost dominion. Creation was cursed. Death, condemnation spread to everybody. Through one man's disobedience, death came and condemnation for all. But in the wake of that fall, our God said to Satan, Oh, I'm not done yet. A conqueror shall come through the woman, the seed of the woman, the virgin birth. I'm going to get a hold of you through a woman. I'm going to incarnate myself. My son is coming. You will wound him in the rematch, lethally, but he will crush your head. And it's interesting to me in Genesis chapter 3, the wounding of the heel. Where does the spike go through? The spike will go through his heel. So God has a plan in this new creation. God promised a conqueror and a, a second round too. So introducing, introducing the second Adam, the second man, all right? Let me show you some theology about it in the New Testament. Romans chapter five, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ, the second Adam, one act of obedience brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many become sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, the Son of God, Jesus, many will be made right with God. In 1 Corinthians 15, he puts it a little bit more clear. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The first man was from the earth, a man from the ground. The second man is from heaven. As was the man from the ground, so also are those who are of the ground. And as is the man of heaven, so also those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man from the earth, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. There are two creations, the first one with Adam, and we all human beings were in him when we fell. God comes and says, I'm doing a new thing. I've got a new Adam. 
and I'm going to allow anybody in the first Adam to jump ship. Get out of the Adam's family, all right? <laughs> and come into the new family where there's life. So he's saying, hey, if you're part of the first Adam and you die that way, <laughs> the, the word means earth, dirt. You're going down. You're going to be buried. You're going to die two deaths, first the physical death and then the second death. Shame and condemnation and sinning is, a, is associated with the first man. Hopelessness, guilt, condemnation, curse. And then he says, I'm doing something new. Are you not going to perceive it? A new man, a new creation, the spirit hovering over. Here he is, opportunity by faith. Oh, sons of Adam, daughters of Eve, come to the new man. Be united to him. And then, like you used to be, like Adam, sinning, death, hopelessness, the grave, you'll be joined to the God-man, the man of life and blessing, not curse. Forgiveness, righteousness, peace, love, and joy, and obedience will start to reflect that man instead of the old man. Adam the first, you see? And so this is what has to happen. So our man has to go up now, like the first Adam was in the garden. Listen, the first guy, the first Adam, he had everything going for him and failed. He had a full stomach. He could eat from any tree, right? He, had, he was in paradise, not with some uh, wild animals, nor was he fasting 40 days. He was in a protected garden paradise with a full stomach, plenty to drink. He was well nourished. He had everything going for him and he failed. Contrasted with the second Adam. The odds were stacked against him. It was like, you know, the Lord was like, okay, tie my hands behind my back. You know, he is the son of God. You know, so he's going to fast 40 days. He's with the wild animals, the snakes and the scorpions and whatever other creatures were crawling around there with nothing to eat for 40 days. And he had to go face the devil and be tempted and deceived if that were possible and withstand him to rip back the title deed that was lost by the first Adam. And so he squares off with him, and he prevails. And how does he prevail? You know the story. First, you know, by the way, there were way more than three temptations. The Holy Spirit just says, here's the top three that would be helpful, right? Because it says in one of the Gospels, Satan left after the Lord rebuked him, after the three temptations, until a more opportune time. So the first thing he does, he comes at him and he says, hey, listen, I know the whole second Adam thing. I, you see what you're trying to do, but by the way, you must be hungry. All right, so, you know, those stones, don't they look like, you know, remember Mary used to make you those special little rolls and, you know, whatever he was playing around with his mind. Here, here's, here's what it is. Use your deity for your own personal advantage. And God had... Jesus had already laid aside the right to act independently of the Father, and that would have been a sin. 
Lucifer quoting Psalm 91 to the Lord. It says in Psalm 91 that, you know, if, you, if you're in trouble, the, the Lord will send angels, they'll catch you, you'll touch down, you'll land on both feet, you'll, say, you'll, 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 draw, you'll draw a crowd, and then they'll put their faith in you, and you can avoid that whole cross thing, you know. Just presume upon God's word. He said he'd take care of you, right? So just go, whoops, trip, right? That's what he says to us all the time. It says he'll forgive you, so go ahead. He's got, he says in the Bible, he'll work all things together for your good, so go ahead and sin, and this will be one of those good things, you see? Oh, that's how he works. And then the last one, he saves the best for last. He says, listen, your first boy, he failed. I ripped dominion. I took the title deed. I took the whole thing, and I got it. And you know it's fairly mine. And I can give it to anyone I please, and I'll give it to you. All you have to do is give me what I want, and all I want is just a little respect. <laughs> That's all I want from you. It's just a little bow. It could be like a nod, just to just anything, just to worship me, you know. And so here's what Jesus does. He doesn't get agitated ever. He doesn't reason with them. He doesn't get afraid. He doesn't start running away. He says, it's written in Deuteronomy 1. It's written in Deuteronomy 2. It's written in Deuteronomy 3. Now, the first takeaway from that is there are folks who say, you know the Old Testament, you know, we don't need the Old Testament anymore. Oh, Jesus needed it. Oh, it came in real handy to the Son of God. He thought, he thought Deuteronomy was the bomb. <laughs> He's in trouble. There's scorpions, sidewinders, estates, and the devil's breathing down his neck, and your soul and the rest of the world's hanging in the balance, and he's Deuteronomy. And I don't think he said it like that, but he said Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. The Old Testament is God's word. We learn how to understand ceremonial law from the governing laws of Israel and a nation. You just have to be smart about it. Do some studying. It's his word. And what happened? He commanded him, be gone. He won. Listen, I close with this. In ancient times, two armies opposed to each other. Rather than march and try to kill each other off and lose a lot of lives, they would pick, and there's a word for it in Hebrew, and it's translated really champion. They'd pick one guy to represent them, and the other team, team, nation, whatever, uh, would pick a man as well to be their champion, and they'd let the two go at it. And that's exactly what was happening with David and Goliath, exactly the word is used. Goliath was their champion, and David was their, Israel's champion. And the two went at it. 
And whoever lost, everybody else would be subservient to the other side and to that leader. And you do realize that David and Goliath is way more than just David and Goliath's story. He's talking about Jesus as our champion. The second Adam going round two with the adversary of God and the adversary of your soul to win back the right to be reconciled to God. That's what was hanging on the balance when he said, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, God's word. I stand on God's word and get out of here. You have a champion. If you signed up with the new Adam. <laughs> Unless you're with Morticia and whatever the other names are, you know, in the Adams family. You've got a champion. And where is that champion? By the Holy Spirit inside of you. The dove, the power, the love, the joy, the gentleness, the life. All for what? All for you just yielding to him. It's not that hard. Somebody just thought that. I just know when I saw it on your face. Listen, you're not the exception. You're not the exception. You haven't, done, you haven't gone too far. This champion's with you to the end. And if ever there was a demonstration of the proof of that love and value to you is him on the cross saying, this is how much I love you. Never doubt that. Never doubt it. Let it propel your life. Let it change you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. We thank you, Lord, for these two events that show us so much about your love and who Jesus is, what he did, and your Father's heart behind all of it to offer us a new way, a new champion, a, a new man. Thank you, Father, that you make it so easy. Help us. If anybody here is not connected to the new Adam, just Christ Jesus our Lord, just it's so easy. Help us, Father, to just put our faith and trust in you, to call out your name and yield our lives to our champion, Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I feel inspired to close by reminding us all the power of God's word. When you're in trouble, when you're tempted up here, when you're struggling, uh, use his word. You know, you're fearful. You say, you know, perfect love casts out all fear. For God has not given me the spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. And stand and believe it, right? When you're tempted, you know, no temptation has taken hold of me except what everybody experiences. And God is faithful with the temptation to always provide a way to bear up under it and a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Well, if you need wisdom, you're quoting those passages. Whatever you need, quote the truth. 
and that truth will set you free. This power, this power, unleash the dove, unleash the dove, and that is his word, amen? amen. Father God, help us. We, we can be so passive. Oh, we have all the tools right there and the, all the, the, the verses we need and the power, and we get lied to and we don't use it. Help us to just plaster all around us the promises of God and to meditate on them and to use them in battle when we're conflicted or confronted, Lord. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.